It is the third week of Advent, and it is all about joy. Joy is one of the major pillars of our Christian faith, and we sing about it when we sing joy to the world or God rest ye merry gentlemen. Joy, it signals something deeper, something weightier that exists in real time. It's that thing that we long for. It's the meaning, the purpose. It's that thing that feels obtainable. If only we can get to God. If we could tap in to God's great reservoir of love, then we could experience joy. But we have to get to God first. But here's the good news. That's not hard at all. God is everywhere. At least I really believe this. God is working all the time in and through the intricate unfoldings of our lives. God is literally everywhere. You can encounter God at any moment of any day, which means you are always this close from experiencing joy. And I think deep down, that's really what we all need reminding of over and again, especially this Christmas. We need reminding that even in the midst of our chaos or our uncertainty, in the midst of our pain or our confusion, we can still tap in to joy. I know this because we're always just a moment away from encountering God. I talked to a church member this week and she told me that really the biggest silver lining for her in the midst of this pandemic is that she has spent more time reading scripture than she ever has in her entire life. She has spent more time in prayer than she's ever dedicated in her entire life. I mean, despite all the cancellations of plans, the difficulties of navigating the pandemic, the constant changing, the stress, the anxiety, she has still managed to find and connect and reconnect with joy through spiritual disciplines that this space has given and afforded her time to do. In short, she's encountered God over and over again. And every time she does, she understands a little bit more of what is joy. And I don't think there's a better biblical example of what we're talking about here than the Annunciation in Luke chapter one with Mother Mary. Today's text is famous. I mean, it is literally a voice calling to her from the divine realm. I mean, the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she will be the mother of God incarnate. It is here that Mary encounters the divine head on. And then what unfolds, she counts as joy. So I'm gonna read this famous passage again. We'll read it slowly. And then I'll weave in a few thoughts as we go. Starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and he said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. A few things here. First, 
you have to see that this is another example of a voice calling to someone in the text. This is just what happens in scripture. It's how it works. The divine realm speaks into our earthly world. Now today we feel it more in our soul than we do our ears, but it happens in both in the Bible and I believe even today. Here in scripture, we get moments of audible callings over and over again. We just sometimes need to learn to listen in our soul. So something else you need to know. Mary, probably a teenager. We also know she's from Nazareth. We also know that she's a young woman. So put that together, a young woman from Nazareth who is a teenager. She is a nobody from nowhere and she is going to amount to nothing in her life. That is what is supposed to unfold for her. A nobody from nothing who does nothing that anyone cares about until she dies. Yet in the text, she encounters an angelic being. I mean, the great messenger angel Gabriel comes to her. You cannot miss this detail. She is as low on the totem pole as it gets. And yet Gabriel is bringing tidings of great news to her. He is enunciating that unto her and by default all of us that a son shall be given unto history. And look how he announces her presence. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. This would not have been lost on the ears of Luke's listeners. They would have known. No, she's not. She's not a favored one. She's a nobody. She's never going to be anybody. And that's why scripture says what it says in verse 29. She was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this was. I think we can safely say everyone was perplexed. Everyone is pondering what kind of moment this is. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And now you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the annunciation. This is the great miracle that is proclaimed right at the conception for Jesus. This is what the voice is calling to Mary and saying. First, she has found favor with God. She's going to conceive a son in her womb. She'll name him Jesus. He's going to be great. He'll be the son of the most high. God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. This is quite an annunciation. And if you're careful enough as you read the text, you'll notice a remarkable symmetry between other stories in the biblical text of when other people encounter the divine. I mean, there's a ton of them. 
When you think Hagar in Genesis 16, Moses throughout Exodus, or Isaac in Genesis 17, Gideon in Judges 6, Samson in Judges 13, John the Baptist in Luke 1, Thomas in John 20, Paul in Acts 13. These stories are almost identical. They all have three things. The divine appears out of nowhere. There's fear and confusion among the humans in the text. And then the divine figure makes an announcement, a message that changes the story. This is the pattern. But here's what's cool. In almost all those other stories, a fourth thing happens. There's an objection from the person receiving the announcement. I mean, think Moses at the burning bush when the bush calls out, you're my guy, I need you to go. Moses responds, I'm not your guy. I'm not gonna go. Every story is like that, except Mary's. A close observer of the text would notice this. This is where Mary should object. I'm not gonna go. I'm not your girl. But she doesn't. She almost does. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. Actually, the Greek translates it a little differently. It, really, she says, how can this be? I know not a man. You can interpret that in a lot of different ways, but I mean, it's pretty obvious. She's saying the timing doesn't work. I can't be pregnant. It's not physically possible. And for that, Mary is almost ready to object. But wanting more information, she asks, how can I be pregnant? Verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And right here at the end is her answer that she needs to why she's pregnant. And it's ultimately the answer we all need. How can Mary be pregnant? Because nothing is impossible with God. This is such an important moment. It's such an important statement in scripture and for all of our lives. This is what we forget time and time again. Nothing is impossible with God. I mean, this should be our breath prayer from today until Christmas. Nothing is impossible with God. How am I gonna get through this pain? Nothing is impossible with God. How am I gonna get through the holidays with my in-laws? Nothing is impossible with God. What about these feelings I carry of loneliness? Nothing is impossible with God. What about the sadness of the missed traditions over the last few years? Nothing is impossible with God. This prayer doesn't answer all of our questions, but it reorients us back to God. It allows us to take wherever we are and to re-encounter God's abiding presence, which then brings into the mix joy. This is such a pivotal moment for Mary because what she should do, what the others before her did is walk away, object. I mean, what Mary should have said was, my goodness, this is nuts 
Because it is nuts, except nothing is impossible with God. So instead of objecting, Mary defies the formula and says this in verse 38. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Mary's response, it must be noted, she doesn't object. She doesn't complain. She goes inward, a lot like Joseph did last week. She takes on all the discomfort and the confusion and the craziness of the moment. And she taps into her soul and she uncovers joy. And what she needs and what she says needs our attention today. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I really am blown away with this moment because even in her chaos, what Mary is doing is finding and holding on to joy. She's saying, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Come what may, I'm grounded in joy. We can be too. A voice is called out to Mary and she listened. We can too because nothing is impossible with God. Like Gabriel calling out to Mary, Mary's voice is the one that calls out to us. We need to hear her joy. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And when we get to that inner place that can hold both the pain and the joys of life, that's when we open ourselves up to an encounter with the divine. And when we do that, we count all of life as joy. Hark, a voice has called to you. Are you not ready to hear it? 